Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. is your number one source for all your betting needs get the latest odds lines and matchup reports for baseball boxing golf and more bet online continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers including live betting and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your phone head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to get in on the action and remember to use our promo code believe that's b-l-e-a-v for your 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit Bet online where the game starts. All right, folks. Well, welcome into the show. This is Jeremy Evans, your host of the California Sports Lawyer Podcast, where we talk about entertainment, media, and sports topics. This is episode 32 of season five. As always, appreciate you being with us and making us the number one sports law podcast in the world for three years running now. So again, uh, appreciate you being with us. And uh, we'll get right into it as we're talking about artificial intelligence or AI uh, sort of being at the heart of entertainment, uh, media, and sports, and particularly its future. And if you've been following it all with regard to SAG-AFTRA and WGA, uh, specifically for the actors and the writers in Hollywood, uh, they have been in negotiations and uh, on strike. And one of the main issues is the use of AI and the regulation of AI in the filmmaking process and in the writing process, which I would include, you know, sort of uh, writing in that filmmaking uh, process there, uh, technically speaking. But so it, it's, it's, we live in an interesting time where it seems that artificial intelligence is potentially at the heart of every negotiation and every program and every discussion. Uh, today. Uh, I know that it's occurring in the legal field uh, for sure, and it's something that, um, uh, you know, is, is going to be discussed. I, I currently serve as president of the California Lawyers Association, which is one of the largest bar associations in the country. And I know this is going to be a huge issue we're going to be addressing in the coming weeks and months. Uh, it's something that the State Bar of California is looking at, and it's something that a host of other bar associations are looking at. Uh, and that's just one area, but this is something that uh, we're going to continue to see uh, develop in our lifetime, uh, and it's both scary and fascinating at the same time. You know, and I often have said and have felt that Hollywood has done a pretty good job of predicting the future when it comes to movie making and things that happen in the future, whether that's by chance or, um, you know, some sort of divine intervention, but it it definitely seems that a lot of things that happen sometimes in the film end up happening in real life. And I think in some sense, it's a lot of times films are made in a way that help you prepare for the future, but also in some way warn you of the future. Uh, and so I, I think that in that sense, um, you know, there's a lot of folks who are weary about artificial intelligence and, um, and actually at the annual meeting coming up for the California Lawyers Association, we have, uh, Dr. Chris Matman coming in 
who is the chief technology officer at uh, NASA uh, and specifically the JPL program. Uh, so I hope that folks can listen into that. But this is, again, a major issue. So, you know, artificial intelligence is really at the uh, center of this idea of potential growth of entertainment, media, and sports, the acceptance of it, the regulation of it. Uh, this is sort of a, it's a big deal. And of course, with the um, strike going on with SAG-AFTRA, which is the Screen Actors Guild, and of course, the WGA, which is the Writers Guild of America, um, they have these ongoing negotiations. And at the heart of it, as well as the Alliance of uh, Motion Picture and Television Producers. And, you know, one of the main, the two main issues that they're looking at, one is the share of streaming revenue, uh, which would be similar to, let's say, DVD sales of the past, which was always um, a second bite at the apple, if you will, where after a traditional theatrical release, you would have DVD sales. And this is where um, a lot of actors would get percentage points and say, oh, you know, I'll get X percentage of DVD sales. Well, of course, DVDs are really non-existent these days. Some people do buy them, but for the most part, you're seeing them on shelves in Rite Aid and CVS and Walmart and other stores where they're sort of selling them for a few dollars and just really trying to get rid of them. Now, sometimes things do make a comeback. Um, obviously, uh, record players have made somewhat of a comeback. Vinyl records are a popular thing. I think a lot of that's for the collective art uh, on the actual vinyl, but then also the sound of the music and uh, the nostalgia of playing it on, um, you know, let's say uh, a record player, right? But, and that's also, there's some, been some uh, updates to the vinyl to where the, the music does sound better. Technology can be better. Uh, but I think some people do enjoy sort of that older sound. Uh, you know, I myself have have records and and do listen to it from time to time. But I will say that the ease of, you know, turning on a, a streaming service and just listening to music and paying a flat fee is, um, is you know, far easier. Uh, I don't know if it's better, but it's definitely easier. Uh, and maybe it's better because it's more convenient. But again, I think you could argue about that. But that's sort of the situation, right? And so the share of streaming revenue, but DVD sales don't exist, right? So where does that money come from then? Is there a second bite at the apple? Is there enough streaming revenue to go around to share as a, a back-end point or percentage point. And then the second issue is the use of artificial intelligence in the creative process. Uh, so now in any negotiation, right, one point could lead to something else, meaning that let's say that more money was given on the back-end towards a share percentage to writers or um, you know, directors or to actors, uh, but, and this would come from you know, subscriptions that some of these streamers have, uh, which some of them are owned by studios. Um, and maybe that leads to more acceptance of AI. But then again, you know, really AI or artificial intelligence strikes at the heart of what a union is sort of its stated, per stated purpose, uh, which is to protect its workers, uh, specifically human workers and their salaries and benefits uh, with, with the idea uh, to increase those. So to increase their salary and to increase their benefits. And I think that sort of, again, strikes at the heart of this because AI potentially takes away jobs and it takes away the significance of what a human can do, right? Because AI in itself takes inputs from humans and from human text and inputs and books and 
uh, and writings and um, has collective knowledge of, you know, let's say thousands or hundreds of thousands or even millions of human beings who exist or have existed and then puts that into, you know, a solution or creating a work of art or what have you. So um, again, a very interesting thing, a very cool thing, but also a very scary thing. Now on the streaming issue, it's interesting because um, if we just take Netflix, for example, and I use Netflix because they're the number one uh, streamer in terms of subscribers. Let's say if we take their subscription prices at $6.99, uh, $15.49, and $19.99. Those are the three price ranges. So basically $7, $15, and $20. If we take those and average those out, so add them up, divide them by three, we get around about 14 0.15. So let's say $14 is the average price. If we multiply that by the 238 million subscribers that Netflix has, uh, and that's per month in terms of the dollar amount, uh, you get $3.33 billion in subscription fees per month. Now that's assuming that everybody pays and there's not freebies going on through some self-service provider or people aren't you know sharing or whatever it is. I'm sure there's more subscribers than 238. Uh, unofficially, uh, although Netflix is beginning to crack down on that. Um, but that's just, that's 3.3, uh, 3.33 million billion dollars in subscri subscription fees per month. Over the course of 12 months or a year, that is 39.98 billion. So let's call it $40 billion a year just in subscription fees. Maybe it's less, maybe it's a little bit more than that. I'm not sure the percentage of folks who have the full premium service at $20 a month or not, or the folks who have the $7 service. But that gives you an idea. So you have this, let's say $40 billion, but how much of that goes to production cost? How much of that goes to employee salaries? How much of that goes to talent contracts when you're paying producers and writers and directors, you know, million dollar, multi-million dollar contracts. And of course that's just for one project. Uh, you've got leases, you've got building ownership, um, you know, you got to pay, uh, you know, payments on that. Uh, you've got other business expenses. And of course, the question becomes what's left to share. And this isn't me defending the streamers or the studios, but of course, as a business owner, I also get the point that you have a set revenue coming in and sort of where do you put that, right? And of course, how do you divide up the money? Now, one idea to this would be, okay, you base it on streaming views. You say, if you reach so many views, as would be similar to, let's say, you sell so many tickets in a theater or you sell so many DVDs, that would be, the I think, the most prevalent um, sort of comparison is you could say, all right, you've had so many streaming views for your particular series or film, uh, you'll get a percentage point you know, for every 100,000 views or whatever it is. That's one way to look at it, whatever formula they come up with. And this particularly works for, let's say, film and series that do not have particularly film that does not have a traditional theatrical release, just go straight to streamer. Even though there's been uh, theater uh, has definitely had a rebound with uh, Top Gun Maverick and uh, Oppenheimer and Barbie and some of these other films that have come out over the past, um, you know, couple of years. Uh, but uh, again, the question would be, okay, how is that split? What's the, what's the mathematical sort of formula? Um, and, of course, one of the other issues has been that streamers and studios have been uh, somewhat hesitant to release viewership data. Part of this is because um, 
the money, the revenue driving is really towards subscribers. It's not towards viewers. So they've had less inclination to release that data. However, if you've got advertising on your platform, it does make more sense to release that data, at least to the advertisers, because they're going to want to know what they're getting, right? How many viewers were looking at this? Yeah, you have 238 million subscribers, but how many viewers are going to be looking, uh, particularly for Netflix's uh, $7 you know, add-in option? So we'll sort of see how this plays out, but that's, I am sure, one of the major uh, sticking points in the negotiation, or at least a, a negotiation point. And of course, from the studio's side, they're clearly using viewership numbers to help market um, their uh, their shows or films or series. Uh, you see this all the time, you know, highest rated show, you know, highest watch show, whatever it is uh, on billboards or whatever you see around town or here in the news uh, or whatever you see on or here on social media. Uh, but it's also used in award season for film and television series. So uh, we'll sort of see. Uh, you know, how that plays out. But that's sort of, I'm, I'm sure, at the the heart of some of those negotiations between uh, and with SAG and WGA and uh, the Motion Picture Group. Now, moving to the artificial intelligence issue, uh, this is, I mean, look, money is always, always important, but I think this is the broader issue because it has more impact. Because once you introduce AI into something, uh, it's probably pretty difficult to take it back, right? Um, in many ways, AI, like other technological advances, is you know, when it, for example, once you introduce the vehicle, you get rid of the horse and buggy. Once you introduce uh, the computer, you kind of get rid of the typewriter. Um, once you introduce social media, you lose some of that in-person contact, right? There's a cause and effect to a lot of these things. And once you introduce AI, there's a potential that you could lose jobs, right? You could lose the sort of value of what a human brings to the table. Uh, and this is of specific concern, I'm sure, to the writers in the WGA. And the idea here is that AI would be used by streamers and studios to draft pitches and scripts uh, and similar to that. Um, and even even potential artwork or, uh, or what have you in terms of you know, the creation of things in general. And so um, in some ways, I sort of think of AI and entertainment, kind of like the introduction of analytics and sports. There was sort of this like backlash of it being introduced and you're talking about, you know, money ball and all that. And this is specifically for baseball. I think other sports have, have because of baseball's experience with it, and they were sort of the guinea pig, other sports have been more acceptant, accepting of it. Uh, although I, I would say the analytics are not used as much in forming teams uh, in other sports as it is in baseball. I think it's growing, but clearly there is a love uh, a love affair of analytics in baseball because everything is about statistics in, in, um, in baseball compared to other sports. Um, you know, for example, you know, uh, the, just the numbers behind how, what's the total number of home runs hit in a season? What's the, um, you know, the, the most home runs hit in a career, you know, what's the highest batting average, you know, this sort of thing. These are big numbers that I think a lot of people remember. Um, I think in the age of the internet, some of those numbers are, numbers are growing because people are having more access to knowledge. But my point in bringing it up is this, is AI and entertainment is similar to this sort of introduction of analytics in sports because there's sort of a reluctance to it. Um, but I think the difference is that analytics was never meant to replace 
humans as athletes. It was introduced to improve the game uh, with players better fit for certain positions and, you know, better drafting and, and better sort of team construction. Uh, and frankly, to potentially save money on free agent and extension contracts, meaning why sign somebody uh, with a similar uh, wins above replacement or war uh, when you can sign or, you know, sign a quote unquote lesser player for less money, but performs at a similar clip or sign multiple players or, um, you know, that sort of thing. It's that famous scene in Moneyball where they lose Jason Giambi uh, to the Yankees and a free agent uh, in a walk year. So he signs a free agent deal. And Billy Bean, played by Brad Pitt, makes the point that we need to sign three guys at X on base percentage to match what, you know, Giambi has done to make up those numbers. So anyway, it's it's sort of an interesting uh, analysis and comparison. But the point being is, is that, um, you know, there is some similarities in terms of how things uh, have come about. But again, the difference being is that AI has the potential to replace uh, people. Um, now, so in looking at this, uh, there is a chance that, you know, clearly AI could lower the cost for studios and streamers, uh, but it would potentially be at the cost of losing writers and other people in the room. Um, you know, but that being said, again, AI could be very beneficial to take the collective knowledge of its inputs to come up with marketing strategies and solutions, uh, to edit drafts, to make suggestions or, more, maybe more importantly for the studios to help decide what films and series should be produced or not. Now, however, the problem with that is that each of those AI benefits could mean the loss of jobs and creative freedom uh, and, and direct human input, right? And of course, actors don't want to be replaced or reinvented. Um, now, this is interesting though, because CGI or, CGI or com computer generated imagery is often used in film today. Um, now it's not replacing actors. I think it's, um, sort of advancing it or adding a piece to it or, um, you know, adding, you know, mission impossible or some of these other films, right. Where you have AI added to some sort of, um, crazy, um, you know, action scene. Right. And then is there one thought that maybe is CGI, the predecessor to AI, you know, is this sort of computer generated imagery, um, you know, the future of sort of maybe bringing in AI. I think there's definitely some history uh, in this and that Hollywood's top actors have complained before about bringing too much CGI into something. Um, and actually there was some talk a while back about bringing James Dean back to the silver screen. And you're probably saying, well, how is that possible when, um, you know, James Dean has been deceased for years? The idea is that CGI and artificial intelligence work together to basically come up with, um, you know, James Dean, you know, and, and, or using prior footage or what have you, uh, and interviews to create, um, a character on the screen. So seems kind of crazy, but, uh, there's been some articles written on that, that I would encourage you to check out, but clearly that wouldn't be good for the actors right now. A lot of this stuff is sort of, I don't want to seem like it's doomsday or I'm advocating for one position or the other. I think I'm just trying to lay out the issues as to, these are probably some of the things going on in the negotiation room when it comes to AI and um, uh, any sort of creative freedom with actors and with writers. Now, I will note this, sort of as we get towards the close of this episode, is in a federal court case in um, earlier this month in August, 
the judge in the case ruled that, quote, human authorship is a bedrock requirement, uh, end quote, of uh, registering a copyright. And this was a decision by the judge that uh, upheld a U.S. Copyright Office decision uh, that a piece of art created by artificial intelligence is not open to protection. Meaning if something is created by AI, it does not receive copyright protection. Now, this makes sense because, you know, one of the, again, one of the bedrock, bedrock requirements of uh, copyright is that it be created by a human. And of course, AI is created by a human, uh, but then sort of uses those inputs to create something new. Um, but it's sort of interesting because uh, the things that AI is using that that humans are inputting into the AI to make it sort of have these ideas is it's using human created resources, right? Books and textbooks and writings and, you know, basically any information that can be uploaded or inputted into a system, into a machine. Of course, a lot of those works are protected by copyright, right? So um, it creates a secondary issue. So not only can it not be protected by copyright, according to this court case, which is likely to be appealed um, and if approved on a, on appeal and then uh, potentially if it makes it to the Supreme Court, we'll have some uh, very high level, um, uh, you know, sort of case law. But then also I'm sure other state legislatures will probably uh, consider passing laws to help protect this. I'm sure California might be one, but who knows? Because California is in a interesting spot because on one hand you have a situation where uh, you have a huge tech industry in Silicon Valley uh, with uh, where I'm sure AI is very prevalent uh, and may indeed have been uh, somewhat invented. Uh, but then you've also got this huge, you know, sort of Hollywood contingency uh, with actors and, and writers. So we'll sort of see how that plays out. Um, and of course, even though AI is a, is a code program that's like open source. So for like, let's say chat GPT, it's open source. Anybody can use it. Um, it's still, again, being human resources are inputted in that with potentially uh, copyright issues in there. So um, AI in the future could potentially be limited by such inputs and it may uh, derail some of the AI development um, unless they can get licenses for some of these things or unless AI can just use information that's in the public domain, um, you know, stuff that's not protected by copyright, meaning that it's, um, you know, so many years old, right? And actually you can look it up online as to when the public domain date uh, is. If you actually go to the internet and or Google and just type in what's the public domain date, it'll give it to you. There's some exceptions, but generally that's sort of what it is. Um, you know, not legal advice, but uh, definitely there is a website where you can look that up. Uh, as to what that date is. But again, that could be a huge restriction for AI, right? Um, but even if AI is, is going back, let's say hundreds of thousands of years, that's still a lot of information. And it's more information than, than, than really a human could uh, obtain in a lifetime, uh, even the smartest of us. Uh, and I think that's what one of the values of AI, at least from the studio perspective, is that it can do all these things and not cost any money, right? And of course, the more developed AI gets, the better uh, that it can be useful in that sense uh, for businesses that want to use it. But I think, of course, what this boils down to is that this is likely the concern with AI, or at least unregulated AI, is where there's no laws or protections, or the laws and protections uh, do not 
protect human beings as sort of the highest value, right? Um, in sort of my opinion, and I think a lot of folks' opinions, human should always be the highest priority and protection should reflect that. You know, it's sort of, I, I think indeed that uh, the flower pot would not be able to tell its creator how it should work, right? And if humans are creating an AI system, um, we shouldn't be at a point where the AI is telling um, sort of one uh, humans what to do, uh, which has been reflected in many Hollywood films, which may seem like hyperbole, but um, I think it's something to keep in mind. But I think even more importantly and more closer to home is the idea of humans should be valued highly, meaning that if it, you know, if, if AI can save, you know, having a job, I think that needs to be sort of thought about in a, in a broader context of, okay, what job is next, right? And is there a way that we can both use AI and humans at the same time to help better outcomes, um, similar to baseball, right, and sports? is that on one hand, you could say, let's only use analytics and let's only draft using analytics. Okay, that's great, but you also need uh, some of the human input. You need folks to be able to look at the personality and look at uh, how the person plays under pressure, which is frankly something maybe that AI can't do uh, or reflect on, sort of that human component, right, that a computer cannot do. Um, so uh, again, something to think about. Uh, these are, these are uh, gonna be issues, I think, going forward. Um, but it's also interesting too, that we're seeing streamers and, and studios really push more into sports, live sports or series about sports. I mean, that's partly because their popularity, but it also could be that there's less restrictions. Um, you know, you have niche, you know, niche sports like, uh, pickleball who have embraced technology to help grow their audience. Although again, AI is not being used in that context to replace those athletes, at least not yet. And again, that might be hyperbole, but uh, I'm sure at one day in the future, some robot athlete would be created and uh, they'll run it, run it in a mile to uh, see how fast it can run. Uh, so if you can beat a car or something like that. But anyway, um, I think these things are not too far off it, you know, if they're developed. And of course, as we've realized in the last 10 years, as technology is exponentially uh, getting faster and smarter uh, and more quickly released. Uh, than it ever was, uh, you know, in history. And of course you had Amazon, who's really sort of a tech and, um, you know, e-commerce company has used its knowledge to create, um, you know, uh, what people are calling a terrific uh, sort of NFL Thursday night football. Uh, they had, they did, they had some, a lot of success in their first year. And of course it looks like Nat, uh, Netflix and uh, NASCAR. Uh, I was going to say Netflix, <laughs> which, uh, which I guess would make some sense. Um, so Netflix and NASCAR are trying to spark sort of Formula One interest um, through the Drive to Survive series by creating their own racing series. And of course, this all sort of kind of ties in a nice bow with the point that, you know, Disney was rumored was potentially considering a sale to Apple or for at least some of its properties like ESPN. And of course, Apple being a technology company. Um, so this is what I, when I say sort of, artificial intelligence at the heart of entertainment and sports future. It's, I guess you could expand that to say artificial intelligence and technology. Uh, but these are clearly at, at the forefront of um, the, the growth and the heart of entertainment, media, and sports. And they'll continue to be that way uh, until regulation and acceptance can find uh, some sort of mutual ground and a place to make a deal. So uh, until that point, uh, but sooner than, um, I will be back with you next week. Uh, as always, thank you for listening in. 
Uh, this is Jeremy Evans, uh, your host of the California Sports Lawyer Podcast. As always, appreciate listening in. And um, this episode has been brought to you by Bet Online, and look forward to being back with you next week. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm.